ओम नमो भगवते वासुदेवाया ओम नमो भगवते Bhagavatam, Canto 11, Chapter 13, Text 24, Translation and Commentary by Servants of His Divine Grace, A.C. Bhaktivedanta Swami Prabhupada. Manasa vachasa drishtya Vithyate nyaira pindriyaha Ahameva namato nyad Iti buddhyadvam anjasa Translation, within this world, whatever is perceived by the mind, speech, eyes or other senses is me alone and nothing besides me. All of you, please understand this by a straightforward analysis of the facts. Purport, Lord Krishna has already explained that if the sages consider all living entities to be the same, or if they consider the living entity to be the same as his body, then his question, who are you, is inappropriate. Now the Lord refutes the conception that he is a supreme God far beyond and different from everything within this world. Modern agnostic philosophers preach that God created the world and then retired or went away. According to them, God has no tangible connection with this world, nor does he interfere in human affairs. Ultimately, they claim God is so great that he cannot be known. Therefore, no one should waste time trying to understand God. To refute such foolish ideas, the Lord here explains that since everything is the expansion of his potency, he is not different from anything. Nothing can exist separately from the Supreme Personality of Godhead. And thus, everything shares in the Lord's nature, although some manifestations are superior and others inferior. The Lord is testing the intelligence of the sages by pointing out various contradictions in their questions. Even if the Lord is supreme, he is not different from his creation. Therefore, what is the meaning of the question, who are you? We can clearly see that the Lord is paving the way for a deep discussion of spiritual knowledge. The question of how the senses can be the question of how the senses can be withdrawn from the sense objects or the sense objects separated from the senses it's actually a pretty intelligent question is asked by the most intelligent people in the universe from their most intelligent father of course the supreme personality of Godhead who is far more intelligent than anyone and who is the intelligence of everyone they call their question foolish but from another perspective it's very intelligent from the sitting on this side of the Virajar river which we happen to be that means in the material world it's the most intelligent question that one could ask because if one perceives with, withdraws oneself somewhat from the hurly-burly of ongoing life in the material world 
just steps back a bit and sees, you can see that everything here is miserable. And that, uh, as Lord Krishna states, in, it's, he states it in Bhagavad Gita, but uh, it can be perceived, just as Lord Buddha perceived it, by in, intelligent analysis of the situation of this material world, that the interaction of the senses with the sense objects is simply a cause of suffering from the beginning, middle and end and therefore an intelligent person does not take part in it. So then the intelligent question of the Kumaras is that well, how do you do that? How do you not take part in it? Because the senses are always interacting with the sense objects. The, uh, as Krishna himself states in Bhagavad Gita, nahikaschikshanamapi jatu tishtatyakarmakrit We always have to do something. It's not possible not to do anything, even for a moment. Even if one sits quietly and meditates, that you're also <laughs> sitting that's all, and meditating, you're also doing something. If we propose to stop all activities, then stop breathing. And then, no more activities in this body. So, the senses are always interacting with the sense objects, and that is the cause of misery, and therefore, one has to uh, separate the senses from the, the sense objects. But one cannot do that, because they're intricately connected. So it's a very, uh, it is actually the, the most intelligent question that anyone can ask. But it's stupid, <laughs> says Krishna, in the form of Hamsa Avatai. Well, that's the thing, because we're on this side of the Virajar River. That everything we do is stupid, from beginning to end. And even the ultimate limit of intelligence is stupid. The stupidity is non-perception of Krishna. And therefore, yehi sangsparsaja bhoga dukha yone evati. The interaction of the senses with the sense objects, bhoga, for sense enjoyment, that is the cause of suffering. It's not the interaction of the senses with the sense objects that intrinsically causes suffering, but the attitude that I will enjoy. So, uh, everything in this world is intrinsically stupid and therefore the most intelligent persons uh, to the, going to the extreme level, the utmost level of their intelligence and asking the most, and inquiring at the most intelligent level cannot but be stupid. <laughs> and as Lord Hamsa Avatar points out, well, what about me? You forgot about me. You're just seeing everything in this world. But what about me? You didn't see me, you damn fools. Everything is non-different from me. And you don't see me. Unless you see me, you're not really seeing anything at all. You're, you're missing the whole point. Whatever you're saying, you see, manasa, by the mind. Ultimately, everything is perceived by the mind. The sense, or the mind is the center of the senses. So, ultimately, everything is perceived by the mind which not only perceives not, it's not, the, the mind is not simply a machine just like a, a light sensor can sense a different kinds of light as we were discussing and say I and give out a message 
I see red light. I see green light. And you could even program it maybe to say, I see a black cat. If the former, with modern computer technology, you could have it programmed to say, I see. If the form of a cat comes in front of it, could be uh, programmed to say, I see a black cat. He could say, I love a black cat. He could say, I love a black cat. Could be programmed to say that. Yeah. Could be programmed to say that. But uh, the mind is not simply perceiving, but is perceiving with the uh, with the judgment of whether the mind, the, the, the senses see and the mind judges. Is this suitable for my sense gratification or not? And therefore on the basis of that, anukul yasya sankalpa, pratikul yasya varjanam. Is this object suitable for my sense gratification? If so, accept it. If not, reject it. This is called sankalpa vikalpa, which is uh, accepting and rejecting. This is the business of the mind. So we see, uh, just like um, yeah, a piece of meat. You see, I see, and uh, someone else sees. You and I see, and we see that, and we think, horrible. And someone else sees the same thing, and think, very nice. See, this it's the same object, but the attitude toward it is different. So the mind is the center of the senses, but it's not just uh, processing sensual input, but it's also uh, also uh, deciding how to respond to it. The the lion cub, when he sees his mother, thinks very nice. And when the gazelle or zebra sees the lion, it's very dangerous. So one, one feels pleasure and the other feels fear. The same object. So actually fear is the underlying uh, current of material existence. Because nothing in this world is actually favorable for our pleasure or well-being. So fear is the underlying current. So by the mind, by speech, by sight, everything is perceived and thus accepted uh, to all the senses. But by not perceiving Krishna, we perceive everything to be objects of our sense enjoyment. And thus, uh, we are entangled in material life. The impersonalists, they want to get free from this entanglement. But because they're not inclined toward Krishna, then they, they cannot con conceive of... And actually, the impersonal conception of spirituality, it is simply an extension of the bodily concept of life in which one thinks everything here is for my enjoyment. And then one, when one considers that actually it doesn't give me any enjoyment, then <coughs> instead of thinking that, or in, instead of thinking that, well, maybe I should act for Krishna's enjoyment, or I'm not meant for enjoyment, then they simply want to negate that. 
They can they can only imagine bodily enjoyment, and they can't imagine or personal enjoyment. They can't imagine anything else. When they, when they see that efforts for personal enjoyment have failed, then just switch off everything. There's nothing, nothing left. Either nothingness, the void, the shunya of shunyavadis like Buddhists, or a a a, a decorated nothingness <laughs> decorated with more nothingness in other words the the uh, impersonal realization of merging brahman is all let be but it has no quality so it comes to nothing also it has it it is well it has brahman according to impersonalists is eternal full of knowledge and bliss satchitanand but it has no qualities but those are qualities in itself so what, the qualities of formlessness and non-impersonality but somehow or other it's eternal full of bliss and knowledge even though there's no object or person no perceiver according to them the perceiver the perceived and the act of perception all become one that's as absurd as the one hand, the sound of one hand clapping of the Zen Buddhas. It just doesn't. It's it's inconceivable. Of course, our philosophy is also inconceivable. But when we say inconceivable, when we say achintya, that's not the same as the nirvachanya of the impersonalists who who they say it's it's totally inconceivable. It's just be, it cannot be conceived of at all, like the sound of one hand clapping. But the uh, the inconceivability of the uh, that the Vaishnavas profess is that the extent of the glories of the supreme personality of Godhead they are not within our power to measure. But that there is, that there is a supreme personality of Godhead that is certainly conceivable, and that was the fault of the for Kumaras and Brahma he was also influenced by the bodily concept of life and in, and impersonal understanding and therefore he didn't get the point that well it's it's not the, the whole approach that how can I how can we separate the senses from the object sense objects that the whole approach is based on a misunderstanding that the senses are meant to enjoy the sense objects but when we understand that there's no what's why try to separate the senses from the sense objects rather the senses should be engaged in the service of the master of the senses and that is bhakti sarvopadivinirmuktam tatparatvena nirmalam shikena rishikesha sevanam bhakti ruchite there are several definitions of bhakti this is one of them, being totally free from all mundane designations uh, and uh, totally pure, totally free from that and engaging the senses in the service of the master of the senses who is the supreme personality of Godhead that is bhakti and that is our pure position so uh, um, this uh, impersonalism is not really spiritual. It's not really transcendental. It's just a 
it's a negation of the material, but negation of the material is not in itself spiritual. It's something like uh, minus one, zero, and plus one. The, the material situation is a minus situation. The negation of that brings us to the zero position, but the plus position is in the service of Krishna. So that's why the uh, impersonal realization or those who are impersonally realized and perfect, they are called by Lord Brahma Vimuktamani. They think that they are fully liberated, but they're something like the, the mouse who's been caught by the cat, and the cat lets the mouse run away, so the mouse thinks he's free, and then again, the cat catches. Has anyone seen the cat playing with a mouse like that? They, they just, uh, it's, it's a vicious, vicious pleasure that the mouse thinks, oh, now I'm free. And it looks like it's gone far away enough and the cat can then again catches and throws up in the air a little bit and then lets it fall down and if it, it struggles off. So in this way, they think that they're free, but they're not free. For the fault, they still have the fault, even though they may be pure in some ways. That they're not, they're not direct. They're not directly attracted to gross sense gratification. But the, even though they have, by very difficult practice, negated or, or apparently negated the attraction of the senses for the sense objects, they've done what the Kumaras have uh, have proposed here. Uh, 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 they've almost done it I mean it's not that the senses are not interacting with the senses but they've been able to mechanically control their senses it's a very difficult thing to do they've mechanically controlled their senses to be uh, that they see uh, gold stones uh, lump of grass they see everything as the same they're not attracted to any sensual pleasure. So being able to do that and then in the process themselves becoming as as hard as a stone because there's no love they don't no love, no hate or there's some apparent love but that an undefined cosmic love for everything which doesn't really it's not really helpful for anything. And realizing that they they sometimes open hospitals or schools because they, love requires an object. So they're trying to cultivate higher uh, consciousness. So their love, because they refuse to focus that on Krishna, then it becomes focused on the mundane. And as Srila Prabhupada pointed out, the, the other side of, of love is hate. He, he, in the, one of the early Back to Godheads, during, written during or just after the Second World War, Srila Prabhupada wrote about the frenzy of hate which had caused the Second World War. And Srila Prabhupada replied that the, the, the frenzy of hate, so we want to come to the platform of love, but then we just come into the platform of the frenzy of love. That the madness of love, the love in this material world, is not, if love is not directed to the right object of love, and then it cannot actually be love at all. 
love requires an object and there is a, the universe or is set up in such a way that it requires a specific object who can uh, love means that there's there's no personal motive and love to be perfect should be full, complete, unending without any possibility of any obstruction. That's only possible in relationship to Krishna. So love in relationship to other living beings of this material world who desire sense gratification separate from Krishna that is actually only not that love is only nourishing their envy of Krishna. So it's not love at all. And if one is not come to the position of pure love of Krishna, then uh, our so-called love is also an, another way of nourishing our envy or forgetfulness of Krishna. And therefore, we find that in the name of some of the some of the people who talk about love and become famous for talking about love and are revered for being great lovers are actually demons in as much as they eat veal and other horrible things such as certain llamas and we're not talking about four-legged animals in the Andes here or certain mothers who live in uh, Calcutta who are uh, eating meat every day and talking about love and feeding meat to their to their inmates and all this kind of thing. So their love, because they're actually envious of Krishna, they're not inclined toward Krishna, they, they may even uh, talk of God. But at the same time, they don't want to know about him. Here in the purport, God is the, the, the claim of the agnostics. God is... So, uh, the word agnostic is generally means one who claims to uh, neither believe in God nor disbelieve, but he says, well, it's beyond our power to understand. So it works out as atheism. <laughs> because without uh, acceptance of the existence of the Supreme Personality of Godhead, yeah, it, it's it's non-acceptance of the Supreme Personality of God it is atheism and a, a kind of conditional possible acceptance does not amount to acceptance of him so um, here the word agnostic here in the purpose is being used as for those who uh, claim to believe in God well it's actually there are two or three types of uh, semi-theists or pseudo-theists mentioned here um, claim to believe in God but according to the uh, sharp analysis of Bhagavad Tattva Vigyanam scientific knowledge of the personality of Godhead do not qualify as actual theists so one type is that they say that God created the world and then he got bored with it and then he just left it alone and had nothing else to do with it or he put uh, a, a, a twist on that in the modern age is that the uh, Christians who <coughs> who say that everything was created by God in six days then uh, and have, who have now surrendered to evolutionary and big bang theory say that well he put everything in place and then he just let it go on and it's, he did it such a good job that uh, it's just un evolution is just unfolding by by the, his brilliant design in the beginning. Although, of course, 
uh, atheistic scientists say, well, you don't need God for that, you know. <laughs> and then we have the God is dead school of the famous hmm? Nietzsche. Nietzsche, yeah. Yeah, God is dead. Maybe you know that uh, I, at least I was told that. Dead God, yeah, yeah, yeah. That that someone had written a graffiti. God is dead. Sign Nietzsche. And someone else had put a graffiti. Nietzsche is dead. Sign God. <laughs> like that. So, although apparently Nietzsche also said in a sardonic way that I would believe in God. I believe in a God if he danced. So he just got the wrong concept of God. We gave him Krishna, he might have danced with him. He might have danced with Krishna. But it's, it's perceptive, actually. Yes. That uh, the idea of a, a nasty old man sitting on a clay, he's old because he created the world, he must be really old by now. He's got a long white beard, so busy managing the universe, didn't have time to shave. And, uh, <laughs> or maybe they didn't get shaving foam up there yet. So, uh, sitting on a cloud, looking down and angrily punishing, I will smite them ad infinitum. <laughs> There's a song I was taught in school. One of the few things I remember from school. So, uh, yeah, any intelligent person would think this is rubbish. But then, if you're a little bit more intelligent, you think, well, it's rubbish, but there should be some kind of God. Anyway, uh, not that God. Just like this East Village Other, I think it was, this magazine in 1966 reported on Prabhupada that he's God's ambassador. He's he's come to God. They they wrote it in uh, what would you call that language? Not exactly satirical, but ironic language. Yeah, that Bhaktivedanta Swami is sent by God to give the message of him because the uh, the the church is already buried God and he was thought to be fully dead. But Bhaktivedanta Swami has come to say that he's actually he's alive and well, but not in the churches. I can't remember exactly. It's it's a quotable quote. It's worth learning. So there's uh, God is dead, and there's also the idea. This is in in Islam. The whole idea is that God is so sacred that we cannot know anything about Him, and even to postulate that we can know anything about Him is a great offence for which you could get stoned to death or worse. Uh, yeah, actually, they, I mean, the stoning to death, it's not a new thing. And as you know, you did that. Uh, the Ahmadiyas are Aga Khanis. Yeah, so, where was that? In Afghanistan. Yeah, some Aga... Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it was quite common in, in Afghanistan, at least, until recently, for, for Kafirs who were, uh, yeah, heretical Muslims. So, uh, yeah, the idea that that well, God is so great that we cannot know, he's just so totally different from anything and everything that to think, and we are so small that we cannot know anything about. The only thing we know is that if we are a good Muslim, that uh, we will go to heaven and there he will provide us unlimited virgins 
forever. And so it's uh, not a very developed concept. It's practically atheism, that we cannot know anything whatsoever about him. He's so different from his creation. He's so totally different that uh, we cannot know anything whatsoever. And even to think that we can know is an offense. So this is uh, another twist of impersonalism, which... It, I was in Bangladesh for many years, so we used to ask the Muslims, oh, so you do your namaz five times a day, so when you're praying to Allah, and then, well, if Allah is not a person, what is the meaning of praying? And that he spoke to Muhammad, means must be a person. There, there's, there's something tangible about him that he spoke. So anyway, these ideas, these all, actually even this semi-theism or partial theism or pseudo-theism in which they don't know God or they don't know God therefore they, 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 or they have accepted that Jesus is God which he never said himself. Uh, and in this way they also become Mayavadis because they identify a jiva with the Supreme Personality of God. And they say he was killed. God was killed. They, <laughs> they become full of so many uh, discrepancies in their understanding because they're under, they haven't actually come to the platform of theism, of sarvopadi vinir muktam tatparat vena nirmalam hrishikena hrishikesha sevanam bhakti ruchite that we are meant for the service of God we are not meant for enjoyment of this world. That's the same fault that the, in the question of the Kumaras, which therefore it was rejected as being unintelligent. Because inherent in that question is the idea that the constitutional position of the jiva is to enjoy this world. And that, he, that uh, this isn't very good, so just negate it. Or, or get... Uh, get separated from this world, just ignoring the fact that this world and everything in it, including ourselves, are the uh, property and meant for the service of the Supreme Personality of Godhead. So all these uh, theologies, that, uh, that there is a God very remote, we don't really know much about him, but anyway, uh, we, we'd better believe in him, otherwise he'll throw us into hell. And if we do believe in him, he'll reward, reward us so with uh, unlimited virgins or whatever. So this is actually anthropomorphism. It's the idea that, that well, it, it doesn't really give much concept of God except that he's meant for facilitating our sense gratification. That's all. But the fact that he has an... Ex that, maybe not anthropomorphism, but uh, we could say... Uh, What's that word? Anthrocentrism. That, that we, human beings, are meant for enjoyment. And therefore God gave us the world to enjoy it. He gave us the animals to slaughter them so that we could enjoy them. So uh, this ignores the fact that, that he has his own existence and that he is much greater than us uh, suggests that we are meant for serving him, not that he is meant for serving us. If we're good, he'll hand us some, he'll give us some facility for unlimited enjoyment. 
that we are meant for serving him. So all these religions, they, they are full of contradictions and only in their philosophy because uh, they, they, get, they, they get it wrong from the very beginning. So actually only this Bhagavat Tattva Vigyanam, this scientific knowledge of the personality of Godhead as given in Srimad Bhagavatam, it's the only perfect theology which presents Krishna, the supreme enjoyer. We are meant for serving him. And by doing so, we become completely fulfilled. And by not doing so, even if we become, uh, even if we try to detach ourselves from the material world but fail to serve him, we're not really in a much better position than those who are involved in gross sense gratification. We're, we're just withdrawn for a short time. But we're still in the we still have the same basic disease of envy of Krishna. So this Bhagavad Tattva Vigyanam, this scientific knowledge of the personality of Godhead, it is essential that especially those of us who have come to this Krishna conscious movement, understand it uh, in all respects. There's a term which comes up often in the description of the uh, creation, otam protam. That means this way and that way. It, it means that the Supreme Lord, it, it means the, the weep and the warv. Sorry, the warv and the weep. means like this. You see, it's the weaving. Whoop, lost my hand there. <laughs> so, both ways. The, the, the entire constitution of this cloth is horizontal and vertical. So these terms are used for the existence of the Supreme Personality of Godhead. He's in everything, he makes up everything, and without him and the, the design he's given, and nothing works. Of course, this is a very, is very simple, and the way the universe, the, the, the horizontal and vertical uh, pattern which keeps this all together uh, it's very simple and within the cosmos it's much more, much much more complex the different interactions but they have to be in a certain way for uh, various objects to uh, exist as they are for atoms to exist there have to be so many conditions for molecules and then for cells and then for objects which are formed from them and the interaction of different objects uh, of different living beings so it's all mayadhyakshena prakriti suyate sacharacharam itunanena kontaya jagadviparivartate it's all going on because of Krishna that ultimate what's that the unified field what's that unified, unified field theory. theory or the the idea of a, a theory of everything which can explain everything Get out your logarithm. You don't use logarithm tables anymore. Get out your get out your thinking apparatus and mathematics. Let's try and work it out. We won't find Krishna in mathematics. We'll find Krishna in Srimad Bhagavatam. Krishna is not cannot be found by mathematics. Cannot be found by any amount of logical inquiry except that which from the beginning is Krishnan Muk, which is inclined toward him. 
Otherwise, by any material endeavor, we cannot find Krishna. So, uh, one has to associate with devotees. Then one becomes the greatest philosopher and transcendentalist. And without that, however advanced a scientist or however advanced a transcendentalist one is, one cannot but remain stupid for all for all the uh, endeavors of the scientists they're stupid Stephen Hawking is a fool Einstein was also a fool in, in, the, in the ultimate sense they were foolish in, materially they were from our perspective or compared to us they're very intelligent but they asked the wrong questions like the Kumaras asked the wrong question they didn't ask the right question and therefore, all their endeavors, although they, they, were, they intelligently investigated that which was not worth investigating, at least not in that way. Just that you'll find someone, they might spend their whole life, do a PhD and then go into research studying the, the, uh, the mating habits of a rare species of caterpillar. Oh, wait a minute, caterpillars don't have mating, do they? Of butterflies. Okay. And the... the uh, so, uh, it's a stupid thing to waste your whole life on. And for that matter, studying anything in this material world is stupid unless we come to the, the proper inquiry, Atato Brahma Jignasa. What is the nature of reality? The Kumaras thought they'd done that. But one has to do it in the... One has to take that inquiry to its ultimate limit and find out what is the Param Satya, which is a synonym of Brahma? Param Brahma, Param Dhamma, Pavitram Paramam Bhavan, Purusham Shashvatam Divyam, Adi Deva Majam Vibhum. Krishna is the supreme truth, the supreme abode of everything. Ah. So, uh, if we conceive of Brahma, the supreme, as impersonal, then we end up simply on the same platform, like on the Ferris wheel, going round and round. We run very hard, but we end up in the same position. Whereas, if we simply understand this point, that Krishna is the Supreme Personality of God, even from the beginning, if we, un if, if we accept this point, then we, then we immediately step over. By that one acceptance, we step over all levels of mundane inquiry and speculation, even up to the level of Einstein and even up to the level of the four Kumaras, of course, who later became great devotees. And even the Lord Brahma, if he's not... Bahimokka Brahma, what is that? Bhakti Nautaka, Janme Nahiyash. Janme Bhakti Nautaka says, I don't want to become even a Brahma if I'm inimical to you. So, uh, yeah, you're all more... you're all greater scientists than Einstein every single one of you, inasmuch as you accept that Krishna is the origin of everything. Krishna is the overseer and maintainer of everything. And ultimately, uh, Krishna is the destroyer of everything in this world. That is science. Krishna says in the Bhagavad Gita, this is knowledge. Uh, the, the actual symptoms of knowledge are seen in purification of one's existence and particularly avyabhicharini bhakti 
that is the essence of knowledge to accept Krishna as supreme and our position as uh, of undiverted devotion to him that is knowledge and everything else is ignorance Hare Krishna any question or comment about this please yes I have several questions, <coughs> but I'll go through one and then let us have a chance. Um, I was just wondering, in, in your traveling in South in, in India, in um, you talk a very nice term, decorated nothingness. I like that very much, decorated, decorated nothing. Um, but it, it has qualities because they say satchitananda. So how do they describe the death experience? Have you, ever, have you ever had an person explain? Well, it's the same thing as here with neo-impersonalists or wannabe impersonalists in America. It comes down to the same thing, that when you catch them on the throat, philosophically, <laughs> then they say, words, words, it's beyond words, nirvachaniya, that's their term. Then ultimately it cannot be explained by words. They come to the same point. Satchidananda itself is qualities. But they, they say it's without, the ultimate is without qualities. It's ending of Krishna. And it's not philosophically tenable. Not philosophically sound, yeah. How the Muslims respond when you said, you know, you're offering prayers... So God is hearing them. God is hearing God them. Spoke, so how is that working? How does that work? The Muslims, uh, they're not very... The Muslims I've discussed with, of course, they're mostly Bangladeshi Muslims. They're not a very good, good group to discuss any philosophy with. <laughs> then, I mean, it's in their culture. Actually, it was in all religious cultures of the world to some extent or other. Previously that just don't think. Actually, it was in all, the, in all cultures. Don't think that only the uh, imams, and the, the, they will do all the thinking for you. And you but that was in Christianity oh, also. Sure. Don't read the Bible. For printing the Bible, people were burned to death for, for making it available, because it should be explained only through the church. And that's also their invaded culture, that... that the Shudras, they, should, they have no access to the Vedas. That should be explained by the Brahmanas, and I guess to some extent by the kings also. Uh, because, uh, yeah, it's, it's highly esoteric knowledge. They model it up. Yeah. I was once on a, a long train journey from Calcutta to Delhi, and I was in... Uh, Sitting next to me were some Bangladeshi Muslims who were going to Ajmer, which is the uh, the there there it's the most sacred place in the whole Indian subcontinent from for Muslims, uh, not all Muslims, but they have the Dargah, which is like the Samadhi of a saint. So they were going there. So we had a long I had a long discussion and logically, you know, like over we had lots of time, so it's going on over hour you know maybe about two hours or three hours, how we have to, step by step, they bring up all these arguments, and then we come to the point where they couldn't avoid that the Supreme is a person. And then, you know what they said? They said, well, we don't believe it. 
And what were you discussing for two, you know, two, two and a half hours? For? We, did, we don't believe it. They were nice enough people, you know. Asambhasya. In the, this word comes up in the Chaitanya Charitamrita. In regard to the Buddhists, they're not fit to discuss with. And actually everyone in the world. Is, is, unless the, the condition for being sambhasya or worthy of discussion with is that the first condition should be that they accept Vedavani, the knowledge of the Vedas as axiomatic. If they don't, within Vedic culture, that, should, that is the precondition for discussing anything. And that also includes accepting the, uh, the tools of mimangs and nyaya for the hermeneutic tools for discussing Shastra. So, but anyway, everyone in the world, <laughs> including the Hindus, what are they, mostly they don't accept even, not as a principle. They don't even know that as a principle. Prabhupada writes in the Isha, well, it's actually in the Conway Hall lecture, as Dravida Prabhu was mentioning there. The, uh, what are the Vedas that form the introduction to Sri Shopanishad and Srila Prabhupada there states that in India, if someone says to you, why, why do I have to follow you? Is it a Vedic injunction? Uh, then that's given as an example of how everyone accepts the Vedas. And another example that according to the Vedas, the stool of an animal or even of a human is impure, but that of a cow is pure, or the bone of an animal or a human is impure, but that of a conch is pure. So one just has to accept this. It's, one simply has to accept it axiomatically. But in modern India, there's no such thing. It, it, uh, it's much confused. And I put that down to this Garadha Chathopadhyay, a.k.a. Poromohongsho Ramakushno, with his Jatopadhyay, which really made a mess of everything. So we get these so-called gurus They'll, they'll quote a little of the Upanishads here and there, or Veda or something like that, but basically it's just uh, nonsense. And uh, Therefore we have uh, your Sri Shri's and your Asharams and your Amas and all kinds of nonsense people, Babas and Appas and Amas and... we could put the machine gun to good use in Krishna's service, given the opportunity. <laughs> Prabhupada said that about Vivekananda. It's not the kind of thing we want to propagate very widely. But You're being recorded. It was recorded. Well, well, it's already recorded. It's there in the conversation. Like Krishna bang bang, we all know. It's, uh, Prabhupada said, if I would have been in power, I would have hanged him. So Prabhupada expressed his Advaita Sarva Bhutanam, his his uh, non-envy toward all living beings by desiring to hang Vivekananda. Yeah, like that, like uh, Vidur, when Duryodhana was born, he said to Dhritarashtra, kill him now. Better. Infanticide. Better now. <laughs> Heavy stuff. Huh? It's not all love, peace, and understanding. Love, peace, and what's that other way? Yeah, understanding, sensitivity, em empathy, and all this kind of thing. Yeah? 
Yes, please. All right. So I want to bring up another uh, philosophy as well. Well, let's let's stick to the topic of the class for now. If there's anything else we could. That was Srila Prabhupada's standard. The questions they should follow the subject is general standard. Yeah. Otherwise, you can go off on all kinds. There are many things, but one particular topic has been discussed today. So we'll try to elucidate that some more. Yeah. Uh, could I add a comment on the topic? Yes, please. Theism uh, is described as Parinam in other words, there is God and there is transformation of God's energies. And atheism is messing up this relationship of God with his energies. So materialists mess up the relationship by exploiting God's energies. Mm. Uh, Mayavadi is by not making a difference. By denying them, yeah. By just making a mess of it both, you know, just merging it all together. Mm. And uh, and then pentheists uh, they take the divinity away from God and give it to the energy. Mm. Like uh, commonly see that among hippies in the worshiping trees, and God forbid you say something against trees and all that. And uh, in that sense, Einstein fits completely into the category of an atheist. Mm. If anyone knows anything about his life, uh, like he used to, he had two wives. And the first one was, well, whatever. But when he was with his second wife, he eventually moved to the States because Hitler wanted to kill him. And he would commonly, because he was such a popular personality, many people would come to see him. And it was not uncommon that he'd be sitting in a room, naked, just covered with a, what you call the thing that you wear, bathrobe. And then he would purposefully, you know, show his leg or maybe some of his intimate parts, you know, so you see him on the walk in. Yeah. He was very interested. He was very, he was permissive. Mm. That's Einstein. So that was his understanding of God. That's why, um, no, he wasn't a theist, that's for sure. It's, it's an extremely important section of the, of the book that what is sent What's that? Yeah, that was the first part of Chaitanya Charitamrita that Srila Prabhupada translated and published. That was the first. When Prabhupada, he translated first of all this chapter 7 of the Adi Leela and published that as a separate booklet, Lord Chaitanya and Five Features. And then it's only later that the uh, the rest of the, that Prabhupada went back to the chapter one, chapter two, chapter three. But Prabhupada printed this, and he said it should be given to every every Maya, in, every important Mayavadi in India. Yeah, transformation of energy. Yeah, and Prabhupada he he regularly discussed impersonalism. It's very it's extremely important for us to understand. And it's it very easier for us to get merged back into impersonalism, like Lord Brahma himself we see here. Yeah, I, I, <laughs> I just received an email this morning. Viraj Gopal wrote an article about these Mudas chanting Hare Krishna mm-hmm. and presenting you know, their lifestyle and their chanting together as one package of a spiritual thing. And he, he criticized it. And he, it was just an, an honest analysis of of hypocrisy and even mind-numbingly lack of uh, 
of intelligence involved in, in such a creation, and then you have a devotee. My God, devotee, why brought the Krishna consciousness, you know, 12 years ago, making a comment, oh, but he brought me to Krishna consciousness. Like, just... Who brought who? That, that um, her initial attraction uh, uh, towards Kurt's life was ignited by this uh, uh, Krishna dance. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He's, he called himself Krishna dance. You know, and yeah. He was around singing And eat steak and egg. And eat steak and egg and, and offense Krishna. Offense Krishna and, and. Yeah, so if people think that such people brought me to Krishna consciousness, and if they, if they retain any uh, attraction to them or affection for them, then they they never actually came to Krishna consciousness because if you actually come to Krishna consciousness, you cannot retain affection or attraction to them. There was one person wanted to be initiated by me in South India. He he was following all the principles and studying Prabhupada's books, but he would say that, well, I I came to Krishna consciousness because of my initial interest in Ram Krishna, and I wouldn't initiate him, and eventually got initiated by someone else and within ISKCON. But then he went back to his old He's mixed Prabhupada's books with the Ram Krishna stuff and this. He never got it out of his system. Unless it's purged out of the system, then you don't actually enter into Krishna consciousness. If if one has any affection for the Mayavadis, then he cannot actually be a devotee. Now, we certain of them, we may respect them as moral persons, saintly persons in some way. Yeah, some of them who are. Give me an example of who you're thinking who we respect. Well, uh, uh, many Mayavadis, they actually rise early in the morning. They study shastra. They uh, follow they principles. they follow principles. Um, they protect cows, like this. So we may respect them for certain principles, just like Lord Chaitanya. It's uh, that said that because Prakashananda Saraswati and his crew. Uh, they 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 had so they were on one side cultivating a fence, Mayavadi Krishna Aparadi, but on the other side they were cultivating some punya also. So when that offence was removed, that punya was able to flourish. So, yeah, some people we we may respect them on some level, as being. Srila Prabhupada writes in that book which is called Renunciation Through Wisdom that was translated from Bengali and he talks about the sadhus of India that even though many of them smoke uh, and uh, maybe even ganja but still they're not interested in the in the gross pleasure of this world they don't go to cinemas and they go they go from holy place to holy place I was once in uh, Kurukshetra in January, it's very cold and uh, there were sadhus there it's, they're visiting sadhus. There's no special function or anything, but some of them. And you saw that they were sleeping outside at night next to the, uh, what's that called? Brahma Sarova, and the, 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 the lake. And it was just under a covered walkway. So on one side it was open, and they were just covered with blankets. I was inside the room. It was so cold. So they were, they were sleeping like that, and they'd be up early and, and chanting their mantras and this and that. So. so they're not gross materialists, at least some of them. But others who are d- directly cheating others by posing as big gurus, like the names uh, I indirectly mentioned just now, mm-hmm. I mean, they're abominable persons, really. 
But even they in some ways are better than the Exeans, who uh, at least if people go to them, then there's some, they have some inclination. I'll tell you something else. It's getting a bit late here, but I guess we have time. And anyway, life is meant for this. Uh, once, we, when we were newly in Bangladesh, we were just starting our preaching there. So one Hindu social worker came to discuss with us. And he said, well, it's very good that you're, by your preaching, he said, wherever the Western devotees go and chant Hare Krishna, the tendency for Hindus to convert to Christians stops. So he said, that's very good. And then we teased him, myself and Rasik Prabhu, and said, well, what's the harm if they become Christians? If they're Christians, they believe in God, they go to church regularly. If they're Hindus, they don't have, mostly they don't have any fixed practice. The Hindus, and the, the Hindus and the Christians, they're both eating flesh. So maybe it's good they become Christians. We said. So he offered various arguments. And then he came up with one that we accepted. He said, well, if they're Hindus, at least they'll be inclined to say the name Goranga. <laughs> which if they're Christians, they'll be against that. So we accepted that. <laughs> they, yeah. they, they become offensive otherwise. <laughs> so, anything else? Yeah. Like it's dying to ask this question. Right over here. It's a, a comment actually oh, <coughs> just about yeah. this topic that we're speaking <laughs> on. Um, By the way, um, in public we might not say so many things about Muslims and Christians and so many things. Among ourselves we may discuss like this. But in in public lectures and or meeting with people we may not say so many things. Yeah. Uh, one interesting thing about uh, that there seems to be some innate um, need in, in the human spirit to associate with the form when, when uh, you know, trying to understand the Supreme. So, uh, like in Zen Buddhist monasteries that I've been to, they, uh, even though their philosophy is very voidist, they still have, you know, a huge statue of Buddha, they still have deities even that they offer incense to. Yeah. And we have a god on the wall. Yeah, and uh, I heard in one of uh, Stephen Knapp's books, I can't remember his initiated name. Sri Nandanandan. Right. In his book, he says that in the holiest temple uh, in the Islam world, basically, I can't say where it is or what it is, um, he said that they, they actually have an image of God that they worship. Well, at Makkah, they have the uh, Kaaba. And which is a stone, which some people with Hindus say is a Shiva Linga, yeah, which they all do perikrama of round the round the other way, the opposite anti-clockwise, and they kiss. So what's that? That's worship of a form. Well, they say it's the rock. Isn't they say it's the rock that they say. They say well, they say it, it, it's it's not actually sacred, but it's like in Catholicism, they have statues who they carry around in processions. They offer candles to, but if you ask them, you say, no, it's not really, it's not really the person. It's not an idol, but it just symbolizes. That they treat as if the form is actually the deity. Yeah, yeah, there's all Italian ladies who bathe a little, they have a baby Jesus, they bathe in dress. Yeah, 
And so, uh, and then Protestantism is is uh, re- rejected that. So we find that they're more the Protestants. They're they're more impersonal. And then Catholics generally take to Krishna consciousness more in Catholic countries. They're they're more open to Krishna consciousness than to Protestants, who are very who are very hardcore and uh, impersonalists. And also, interestingly. Uh, it seems that the Ritvikism goes on better in Protest- countries where Protestantism is strong because they reject any authority. Only it's, it's the book and me and God, and that's it. It's our modern Lutherism? Something like that, yeah. I thought you were going to connect with Yeah. Well, it is. It's another form of impersonalism. That, that, oh, it's another that... that only Jesus can be pure and we cannot be pure. And so we just believe in him and he delivers us. So Ritvikism is also something like that. Prabhupada said, you, you have to be like me. Now, of course, we're not going to be like him in the full extent, but the fact that we're supposed to be pure devotees, <coughs> and he wanted that of us. And uh, But their idea is that, well, no one, no one can uh, represent Krishna except Prabhupada, which is not what Prabhupada taught. <laughs> okay. Well, after that first attempt at asking me a question, I, I didn't didn't uh, it didn't fire up my enthusiasm. But anyway, we can. Um, I I think there's yeah there's this insight I like to offer. I think of all the religions, like I know today you can be stuff in Islam and Christianity. But I think that the uh, the Taoists um, and their conception of the ultimate, you know, primarily based on the Taoist Jing, I think it offers a challenge to Christian consciousness. And I don't mean that in a negative way. I I, I mean in a way where why don't you let Mark respond? How? No, my response is no, but, no, but let it stay. Yeah, thank you very much. <laughs> what is the challenge? Okay, well, the the Taoists um, they go be, beyond. Their conception is beyond the supreme being. It's beyond being. So it's, 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 and it's, at the same time, it's not not being either. So it's neither this. Yeah, it's not this, and it's not that, and it's neither this, and it's not, it's not, it's not this. You can't say it's this, and you can't say it's that, and you cannot say it's neither this nor that. It's 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 uh, mumbo jumbo, actually. It's it's not this and it's not that and it's also not this and not that. It's not thisness and not thatness. It's not anything that we can conceive of. I I I this uh, Umapati Swami gave a quote that I've been reading these Buddhist books, Taoism, whatever. It's a, so he was reading statements like this and then then he came to Prabhupada and Prabhupada said Krishna is the supreme personality of God. And Umapati Swami said that was I thought it was the most intelligent thing I ever heard. <laughs> what do you mean by being beyond the supreme being? What do you mean by that? Can you explain that? Well, there's, there's one <coughs> that says uh, the doubt forefathers the image of God. In other words, but, but it's beyond God, right? Yeah. So how can it be the image of God? In, in no, I mean, it becomes it's, it's the precursor yeah, to the form yeah, of God. The, the image of God. So, I, so I, then the form of God comes after, then that's supreme. So it's, it's suggesting that there was 
<laughs> That's the point. If you can't explain it, then it doesn't have any meaning. Then if you can't explain it, if you can't explain it, then please don't speak. If you can't explain it, please don't speak. Okay, so the same book that says uh, one who knows doesn't speak. Yeah, yeah. Well, he doesn't know, so he can speak. No, but we say you should only speak if you know, otherwise don't speak. Yeah, so it's, it's the same old idea. From the formless comes the form. That's what yeah, right, yeah. the one comes. To it's it's nothing new. That, it's nothing new from China. It's been around. It's yeah. the same old thing. The If you can't explain it, then just don't talk. Better. We are on a lower platform, according to your misunderstanding. We are we are still on the platform of speaking. So better you don't speak. Or if you want to speak, say Hare Krishna. Better. <laughs> One thing I, we don't see any Taoists in bliss chanting, <laughs> dancing. We don't see that. So, bliss is bliss is better than sitting. Ecstatic dancing is better than sitting in meditation. That you have to choose. What do you want to do? What do you want? What do you want? You have to consider. What do you want? <laughs> yeah. Um, I think this is a good one to find even in the Nothing does not exist. Because if it exists, it is something. Yeah, if you, can, if you can conceive of it at all. <coughs> so if you say everything is meaningless, that in itself, the meaninglessness, is a concept which can be it can be conceptualized, which means the very word meaningless has a meaning. So Maharaj, the one could count it. Yeah. Just like as an example, we state it as a material example, but it's the best we can do. Like Prophet says, the sun and the sunlight, yeah. obviously as soon as there's sun, there's sunlight. And yet we say the sun came first and then there's the sunlight. So we say the living the living entities were created by the Supreme Lord. So it's a mundane example, but it gives you some concept. Yeah. So we really there's no way to describe nothingness because it's beyond words, beyond form, beyond concept. So don't fault us for trying to express this but how can you express it if it's beyond concept? That's my point. So we're doing the best we can with materials. So obviously but then you can't go there. It's impossible to go there. So why even try? So out of compassion to free you from samsara, I'm trying to explain absolutely. But what's the, what's the use of being free from samsara? What's the use? Well, now you're suffering. And you become free from suffering. Yeah, but it's all. If, if the ultimate is beyond all of that, then there's no difference between suffering and non-suffering anyway. Yeah, as long as there's experience, it's uh, it's not the ultimate. Actually, yeah, that's a good point. We'd rather mm-hmm. suffer than not exist. Well, that's 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 the old argument. Better to to love and loss than never to love at all. Yeah, it's better to that. That's what actually happens. That's why. In in uh, where Mayavad is propagated, gross sense gratification follows quickly behind, because the the goal of Mayavad and Voidism is to have no existence, and it's very difficult to attain. You have to you have to go through much austerity over many lifetimes. So people think, well, uh, the the goal is neither relishable nor is the process to attain it. So 
Okay, I'll put that off till later. We'll worship, the, we'll worship those who are monks so they can give us some blessings for sense gratification. That's all. Thailand is the most, yeah, it's, it's, it's uh, according to Bhutama Prabhu, was there before as an astrologer, it's, Venus is the uh, predominating astrological influence there, sense enjoyment, and very much, I was some time in Thailand, and the whole object of life in Thai culture is sanuk, which means pleasure, that's it. If someone goes to a business meeting and they come back, instead of asking them, was it was a successful meeting, they'll ask them, Sanuk up, was it fun? Whatever they do, the question is, was it fun? Everything's meant simply for fun. That's all. For pleasure. Modern Yeah, this whole uh, bhakti fest is just, it's, it's for my pleasure. I like your spiritual teacher very much. Yeah. It doesn't increase or decrease his value. Yeah. How much called the bhakti less festival? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, this whole idea of uh, spiritual teacher, you look for who you like, find a guru who you like, the one that smiles the most, the one who's nice and pats, you, pats the babies on the head and and looks is good looking and uh, all this kind of thing. I it's a completely mundane approach. I remember when the first time I heard Prabhupada in Darshan, Prabhupada said, should I tell you the truth or should I flatter you? Mm. <laughs> I thought, this is the one for me. Actually, that book, I, I thought of doing pure, what was it? Pure Bhakti, pure Kirtan. Maybe I will do it. If I do it as a lecture, it could be transcribed and edited, something like that. It would be good for these people. They need a good kick in the face, actually. <laughs> really, really, they do. Yeah, really. Yeah. yeah, that's the whole thing. They don't care for Krishna at all. Krishna, they have adopted Krishna as, as the uh, supreme object of their own sense gratification. Yeah, you're not serious. They're not serious. They're not serious. After the argument, Well, they said that we 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 were attached to Mayavad. We we knew <coughs> inherently in our hearts we knew that Mayavad is is not correct, but we're attached to it. Uh, because it's our sampradaya. But then they did accept Chaitanya Mahaprabhu when he showed them something better. Yeah? Um, so we're talking about comparing other religions. We're not talking about comparing other religions. We're talking about understanding the truth. What is actual? Other religions means that they don't actually know what the fact is. What is the actual, what is the actual fact? We're not here to be religious. We're here to understand the truth, what is our actual position, existential position, and to act according to that. So, if, um, in order to believe in the Vedas and the truth, um, one thing... No, I no, no, we're not believing in the truth. We want to understand what is the truth. It's not just a matter of believing. Although, it's not just believing. We should understand. 
That's why we're discussing all these points so we can understand. It's not just a matter of believing. Blind faith. Um, not like that. Within the Vedic community, yes. So then, then the Vedas have to be accepted as axiomatic. Yeah. Oh, actually, there was a there there was a system for preserving the Vedas, a verbal system, very elaborate system, so that not even one syllable or even the intonation of it is uh, is lost. A very elaborate system. How does that system work? Uh, well, it worked by this part. <laughs> part means recitation. So there's a complex system by which the gurus taught disciples they teach them and uh, each Veda was to be taught and there was a what is that uh, Chanda part probably Chavita probably part they'd, they'd recite one word and then uh, they'd go they'd recite it forwards and then backwards and one two syllables at a time and three syllables at a time and then go backwards and a very elaborate system so the and by hearing, the uh, the guru would correct so that the disciples get it right. So exactly the intonation, the the the, the matra, the length should be exact, like this. And uh, that was considered author. Books were not considered authoritative. What is heard from the guru that is considered authoritative. Therefore, Vyasadev compiled books, yeah. And what is the proof that uh, that this is true? Srila Prabhupada is the truth. Uh, is the evidence of that truth. The fact that a, a completely God-conscious person who is completely devoid of any trace of sense gratification moved among us and was uh, undefeatable in discussion. He's clearly a God-inspired person. He, the, the saints are the tr are the evidence of the truth of Krishna consciousness. That's true. Uh, some people may say that. <laughs> then, uh, yeah, ultimately we have to see. Falena <laughs> Padachi, we have to see, judge a tree by its fruit. There, there are elaborate systems of checks and balances, which, uh, which as I was just discussing, we were discussing a little bit that we, we, we require a philosophical research institute to. Uh, get down into the nitty gritty of our of very of all aspects of philosophy, beginning from the beginning, which is epistemology, hermeneutics, and in the Gorya Vaishnav context, it's it's very much required. Beginning with that, and then there's the, the, the whole elaboration of philosophy. Of course, there is a limit to which you can elaborate it because. 
at some you know even at some point some axioms have to be accepted by anybody to, for, for there to be any human intercourse mm. I was going to say that Prabhupada in answer to you okay maybe Prabhupada is like Sankarachaya would appear to be presenting the absolute truth although he had some purpose behind it I, I heard Prabhupada say many times fine we're saying Krishna's God Here's our system. Here's right, our right, logic. Right, right, right. If you have a better presentation, go ahead. Convince me, and I'll follow. So even if you accept that, if you can find a better definition of truth and a better behavior than the standard Shiva Prabhupada said, fine, accept it. But if not, then this is the best before you. Take this one. And uh, what Shiva Prabhupada presented, of course, <coughs> is. Param Brahma Param Dhamma Pavitram Paramambhavan Purusham Shashvatam Divyam Adi Devma Jamvipu Krishna is the Supreme Truth Ahutrang Rishaya Sarve Devashi Naradas Tata Asito Vyasito Asito Devala Vyasa Swayang Chaiva Bravishime That all great personalities in history have accepted Krishna as the Supreme Personality of Godhead Even Sankachar even Shankara, yeah. And, uh, so it's not just, when you ask about the ultimate proof, I say, well, Prabhupada, the very, but it, it's not just his personality. We're not starting something like a believe in Jesus cult uh, here, just believe in Jesus. But that that is the ultimate proof of everything that Srila Prabhupada spoke. <coughs> that doesn't discount philosophy, but Srila Prabhupada's uh, natural enactment of that philosophy at every moment is the proof of that philosophy. Not that we're discounting philosophy by saying that Prabhupada is the proof of it. But rather that that it can be demonstrated. He's the embodiment. Yeah, he's the very embodiment, person, yeah, personification of that. Hare Krishna. Anything else?